So nowadays, there are a glut of superhero movies. I mean, there's, there's a new one out every month, and you could pick your favorite superhero. But when I was a kid, there was, there was one that sort of stood out, the first one. And so I want to see who, who might remember the old Superman, um, the one that I watched as a kid, and what his tagline was. So his original tag, he was faster than a, more powerful than a, and able to. All, all right, you all know you all know that Superman. Um, he was so powerful, he made everything look easy. Right, he could defeat the whatever criminal he had to face. Is kind of like effortless, you know, like just one swap, and he could could def- there was no power on earth that could defeat him. In fact, it kind of. Um, you know, well, it got a little uninteresting, right? It was too easy for Superman to win. There was a a, a, mo- a cartoon movie called Megamind, and they instead of Superman, they had Metro Man, but it's the same character. And uh, Metro Man got was so easily able to defeat the the evil forces against him, he got bored. He got so bored, he faked his own death so he could retire. You know that that. But that's what Superman, effortless power, able to to do whatever without even working at it. Why does Superman have such powers? Because he came from a different world into our planet, right? His power source was that he, he originated from this different world, and when he brought that new powers into it on our, when he came into our world. Well, what we're talking about today is that long before the man of steel, we had the Son of God, one who came from another world and took, took residence, came into our world, and, and he demonstrated a power beyond anything we had ever seen, an effortless power. And so let me explain what we're doing as I, as I go through Mark. We're, we're looking at at Mark broadly, as a story would have occurred to someone reading it in the first century. So um, I'm going to look at four miracles. Last week, we looked at the parables that Jesus taught. And the parables were all about how the kingdom comes. So we saw in Mark, Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is here right now. You know, the kingdom of God is at hand. Get ready for it. And then he gave these stories, these parables, teaching about what it will look like as the kingdom of God grows and arises. Well, in the story then, Mark shifts from the parables, then he shifts to, does Jesus have the power to bring this kingdom into being? And so we'll see four miracles that demonstrate the effortless power of Jesus and how he had the ability to bring that kingdom into our world. And so that's kind of where we're at as we go through the story. And so instead of digging into one particular miracle, I want to see what we can learn by looking at all four of them together. So I'm going to go through them rather quickly, but I think we'll see some new things as we look at them in, in combination. So miracle number one is the calming of the storm. Jesus and his disciples were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. 
And the Sea of Galilee was, had mountains that surrounded it. And so it was not uncommon that a storm would flow over the mountains and come upon them suddenly. And that's what happened in this case. They got caught by surprise in a, a very fearsome storm that they had not expected. And now Jesus' disciples were fishermen. They were used to being on that, the Sea of Galilee. And so this, this caught them by surprise. Now, Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. Um, I believe this is probably after a day of ministering to people, and he just was exhausted. And so even as the storm grew worse and worse, Jesus stayed asleep through the storm. So he's in the back. The disciples are getting more and more frantic, and worry starts to creep in that they're going to die. And finally, they get so panicked, they, they yell at Jesus. They wake him up saying, don't you care if we're going to drown? And Jesus calmly matter-of-factly, sits up, looks around, and he speaks three words, two in Greek, actually. Peace, be still. And that fearsome storm didn't just slow, you know, start to calm down. It immediately went completely calm. From storm to shh, no wind, no waves, nothing. And it says the disciples who had been afraid of the storm were now terrified of Jesus. You know, who is this that can order the wind and the waves to do what they just did? Who can do this? Um, I think what we see in this story, one is we see effortless power. This wasn't hard. Jesus could do it simply and easily. And then it shows the authority that Jesus had. It, it demonstrates that Jesus had authority over nature. Are there other miracles that you can think of or Jesus did that had to do with controlling nature? What other miracles maybe that you might familiar with from the Bible where he does something with nature? Call it out. Part the Red Sea. Okay, that's Old Testament. I'm talking just Jesus. Water to wine. Um, he also walks on water. The fig tree. Yep. Um, and the miraculous catch of fish. So there are a few other miracles that have to do with nature and not people. Um, a lot of his miracles have to do with people. But So he demonstrates his authority over nature. I think what's interesting, I, I love the story because I think it shows the dual nature of Jesus. You see he, as the son of God, he had this power to command the wind and the waves, the divinity side. But you also see his humanity, that he was living a human life, that he got tired, even exhausted by the work of dealing with people, that he lived a fully human life, even as the Son of God. So we see both sides of his nature. Um, the second miracle is different. This one is the, the man in the tombs. And so it's as fearsome as that storm was in the external world, now imagine that storm inside of one person. The man in the tombs is, is someone, and we don't know how he ended up this way, but somehow he played around with spiritual forces that he did not understand and ended up under their power. Ended up under the power of unclean evil spirits that were running his life and ruining him. We find out later that he had a family, 
um, that he had left his family and was now living in, in effectively a cemetery that he could not live in open society and, and that people were afraid of him. It says they tried to bind him with chains, maybe maybe because they're afraid of him or maybe even just to help him, to keep him from hurting himself. But it says he would break those chains and um, break those chains and he would run away. And then there was so bad, the inner anguish that was going on inside of him was so bad, it says he would cry out and cut himself. This is a guy, if you saw him, you'd be like, that's a scary dude. Like, I don't want to get near him. I now have a picture of this guy um, from my time back in Zanesville, Ohio. There was a guy um, that would come to our church meals in Zanesville, and I was told his name was Tom. Other people called him Junior. He looked haggard. Uh, I'm pretty sure he slept under a bridge most of the time. Um, every now and then he would, you know, just go off. If you, I, I had a few times where I, you'd make eye contact with him, and he would just start to yell at you. And so, um, and no one could help him. I mean, I think people tried, but nothing you could do. He didn't want help. Um, but occasionally he would, it, it's interesting, sometimes he'd be in his right mind. You know, he'd come to the meals and things would go fine. You'd even have a conversation with him. And then other times, nope, and you'd actually have to kick him out of, of the things because he, he just was, was something scaring everybody. So I have a picture of the brokenness that can result. Now for Tom, the probably the diagnosis I suspect would, would be schizophrenia. In this case, it says clearly and teaches clearly that, that there's a, a demonic power that's at work in this guy's life. And I, I want to clarify, the Bible really does teach that there are unclean, uh, we, they call them unclean, we could say evil spirits, Spiritual powers at work in people's lives that can can do damage and mess them up. That that's not just metaphorical. It's not just talking about people who are dealing with mental illness. Now I think it what we see as mental illness sometimes looks similar to that, and it's easy to equate it. But there really is these powers. But what has happened is as the gospel of Jesus has spread, especially in our our part of the world. And, and the church has grown, that we see less and less of these kind of spiritual powers having an impact on people's lives. And so for us, we kind of wonder, is that real? But in Jesus' time, as he was bringing the kingdom, these spiritual powers were real, and he had to deal with them. And they're still around. And it could be, as, as our country gets further from acknowledging God, it could be we see them arise again. Um, but but it's not just a metaphor. It is a power that's inside of people that can do damage to people's lives. And the question we might wonder, is Jesus' power greater than those forces? Whether it be spiritual forces or whether it be mental illness or addiction that does so much damage to people nowadays. Um, when Jesus lands in the territory where they're at, um, this man sees them and it it says he's, he comes, he runs up to Jesus, but then he starts yelling at him. It's like he's both attractive and, and angry or fearful at the same time. And Jesus is unfaced. He could see immediately what the problem is. 
and he begins to, to, to command the unclean spirit to leave this man. Finds out that it's not just one spirit. In fact, it is a legion. A legion is a Roman army of, of 2,000 people. And so Jesus still can handle this. He commands the spirits to leave. He gives them permission instead of going immediately into the abyss, which is where I guess demons go when they're cast out of a person. Um, they didn't want to go there. And they said, they want to go into the pigs. He said, fine, go into the pigs. Um, so they go into the pigs. And what happens? The, the pigs immediately jump off a cliff and killing thousands of them. Um, what I think that shows is that what kind of power was inside, what kind of destructive power was inside this one man? It shows that, that there was this, not just this one single demon, but a bunch of them. And, and the kind of damage it was doing inside. And yet, then it shows that Jesus could bring healing. He could help even such a man. And so in the end, it says that the man is sitting up, dressed, and in his right mind. That's the kind of power Jesus has. The effortless power. It shows that Jesus has authority not only on the natural world, but also on the world inside, the spiritual world. He can fix the things no one else can fix. He's able to handle even the most overwhelming, powerful forces in, in this world. The third miracle is the woman in the crowd. This is a woman who, who has been dealing with an illness for 12 years. And it says that she has gone to many doctors and none of them can help her. Um, it's talked about a bleeding problem. I suspect that, that if today she would probably go visit a gynecologist to uh, treat this issue nowadays. Um, but no doctor then could do anything. And she's left miserable. She's, it says she suffered under the care of many doctors. And moreover, she's now spent all her money. She's desperate. But she hears about a man who can even heal lepers. Maybe, just maybe, he can heal her. And in fact, she becomes so convinced that she, she comes up with a plan. You see, her disease made her unclean. She was not supposed to be in a crowd and touching people. So she couldn't actually get to Jesus in the normal way. But instead, she, she covers over her face and kind of goes incognito. And she goes through this great crowd that's around Jesus and she works her weapon. Her plan is if I could just touch his robe, that'll do it. And that's what she does. And by God's grace, it says immediately as soon as she touched his robe, she could feel it. She could feel the healing power flow right into her and she knew her, her misery was over. Healing came. No one could see it. Just her. Um, what I love about Jesus is, one, it shows his effortless power. that He actually put literally no effort. You know, she touched him. Um, it shows his authority. It, he has authority over our physical bodies. Um, the power of Jesus could do what 12 years of doctors could not. Um, but I also what I love is how he stopped. You know, she got healed, right? He could have kept going. He was on an important errand, errand that we'll talk about in a minute. But instead, he stops what he's doing and takes time to listen 
to this woman and her story. It says he, he listens to her tell her whole story. She's fearful, thinking maybe she, she stole something. She wasn't, you know, spiritual power that she wasn't supposed to get. Maybe she should give him money. And he, he reassures her, no, daughter, it is your faith. Faith in a God who could do such things. That's, that's why you've been made well. He says, daughter, go in peace. And he releases her to, to, to live life again. And then this leads us to our, our fourth miracle. This is the daughter of Jairus. You see, Jesus had actually been on his way on another, another healing when the unnamed woman had been an interruption. Jairus was one of the leaders of the town. He's a synagogue leader. And when Jesus lands there, he immediately shows up and says, please come and heal my daughter. She, the daughter, the young girl was sick sick unto the point of dying. And so Jesus agrees to come with them, and it says this huge crowd goes along, and that's why it, there's just so many people. Everyone wants to see what's going to happen. But when Jesus is interrupted by the, the woman, Jairus is sitting there thinking, wait, come on. I, I You know, he's desperate. He's, he's, he's thinking, Jesus, come on, I need to do this. And, and meanwhile, word comes, that his young daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter is dead. So healing is one thing. Death is something completely else. Is there any point now in getting Jesus to come to my house? It's at this point Jesus takes over. He sends the crowd away and says, Jairus, come with me. Lead me to your house. He goes there and it says the, the mourning is, is already started. People are wailing and crying over the, the, the girl's death. Jesus then speaks up and says, no, she's not really dead. They don't believe him. But, but he sends the mourners home. And he goes into her room where the girl is laying with just the parents and, and three of his disciples. And then with two words, Talitha Kaum, two words in Aramaic which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. It says he takes her by the hand and raises her up. He, I mean, think about what that meant. He takes, he, you know, we know now that our body has trillions of cells. And when we die, each of those cells starts to degrade and, and begins to, to disintegrate. And, and so to do this healing, the Holy Spirit literally would have had to go into this girl's body and renew each cell and get each one restarted. That is not possible by any human process we can ever imagine. But Jesus is able to do it. It's effortless power. Little girl, get up. Effortless power, and it demonstrates that he has authority over death. And friends, here's what's cool. One day, we are going to hear the same thing. One day he's going to come. We will all die in this life. But it says that um, for those of us who are in the grave, in Second Thessalonians, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. He will return. And with a loud command and the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. He will call us forth with his word out of our graves. We are not destined to just live in, in a spiritual existence 
for eternity, we will be given restored, resurrected bodies just like our Savior. That is how we will spend eternity. One day he will call us, each of us, out of the grave. Effortless power. We serve a Savior who, who has power that we can't imagine. And if he does, why do we worry and fear so many things? Why are Christians often afraid? You know, do, do you have fears? that Are we afraid of what will happen after this election? Afraid of what kind of government we might have? Afraid of this or that? Um, why do we fear and worry when our Lord has such power? I, I love how it said in the story of the calming of the storms, the, the disciples says they were afraid of the storm, and then afterwards says they were filled with great fear or terrified about Jesus. But here's the thing. They stayed in the boat with him, right? They, they, they were afraid, but they learned to realize that he was on their side. They belonged to him, and as long as they're with him, they need not fear anything. That's what we need to learn. I, I, I'm still learning that. I still have this, but I hold on to Romans 8 where it says, um, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, what power on earth can really do anything to us? The second thing, like I said, we see in this is his authority. Is our thing still moving? Um, Is our authority. Jesus demonstrated that he had authority over nature. He had authority over any spiritual powers in this universe. He had authority over physical illness and even death. The question that yet remains is what about in our life? Now, God is able to assert authority in our life. But instead, he wants us to acknowledge his authority and freely accept his authority um, for how we live and what we do. We, we did earlier the Apostles' Creed, and that's a, a great expression of our faith and the core tenets of what we believe. But the, the first original affirmation of faith, the one thing the Bible says that's required for Christians to affirm to, to, to be saved is, is so much more simple. In Romans 10, it says, if we believe that, um, if we confess with our mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he's risen from the dead, we are a part of his saved, saved people. Jesus is Lord. Are you affirming that in your life? This third part is something I, I even changed from my when I did the PowerPoint last night, but I had a new the thought that came out to me about what we see in these miracles when we put them together is there's a hiddenness to them. Think about who saw those miracles. So the disciples saw the the calming of the storm, but not the people in the community. And then when the the man who, uh, the man in the tombs, if it wasn't for the pigs, no one would have seen anything, right? You can't see the spiritual things that were going place. So, So the pigs... With the woman who, uh, in the crowd, no one saw. In fact, the crowd just kind of got confused. 
when, when Jesus did that healing. They didn't realize something would take place. And then Jesus pers- purposefully let no one but the parents see the little girl be raised from the dead. I'm convinced God is at work in this world, but so often it is hidden from the people of this world. It's hidden from those. They cannot see what he's doing, and yet he's still at work. And I think sometimes when we are following Jesus, we want, we want the world to see, do we not? We want to be able to go down to the, the Mohawk River and, and have it part, and us all Christians to walk through it to demonstrate that God is real, you know, but, but his work is hidden. So when he does work, and if you could back up about three slides, I, I'm kind of riffing a little bit. Um, how do we see Jesus' power at work? When he did work in those miracles, he did it two ways. He did it by his word. He spoke, and it happened. And then he did it by his touch. Little girl, get up. Both the word and the touch combined. I think he's still at work in those ways. He's, it's, it spoke through his word as we proclaim the good news of Jesus in this world. As we teach the, the scriptures. God's power is at work through it. But he's also at work through his touch. But we are now the body of Jesus through which he's touching people. How is he at work? Through his word and through the touch of his people as we're living out the love of Christ in our day-to-day lives. Last thing I think we see in these four miracles is the different reactions. Um, the, The one crowd after when they saw the man healed, the, the man in the tombs, when they saw him in his right mind, they, they asked Jesus to leave. They said, we don't really want that here. This is not what we want. Um, the people in the crowd with the woman, they were just confused. Why are you stopping to talk to her? They didn't see the miracle. They didn't understand. So they were just confused. The, the mourners who were mourning the girl's death, they... Um, they laughed when Jesus said she wasn't dead. So do we see all those reactions to the good news of Jesus, right? Sometimes people are confused. I don't understand what you're all talking about. Sometimes they say, well, that's fine for you, but I don't, we don't want that around here. We don't want that in our life. And sometimes they're outright mocking, and they take their shots to make fun. Oh, you silly Christians, you're all, all talking about God and miracles and stuff. We know that that doesn't happen today. So what kind of reactions have you seen? the people of this world respond to Jesus. As he does do his work, as he does, the, his power becomes known. What reaction to Jesus are we seeing in society right now? I'm convinced God is at work. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, is alive and at work in his people. He's still doing miracles Maybe it's ones that the world can't always see. But I think as we follow him, we will see him do things, amazing things. I was having a conversation with someone just yesterday, and they talked about how God healed healed him of a a, a thing that that the doctors couldn't do anything about. And that, that memory of that healing has stuck with them. We don't see it all the time. But man, as we follow Jesus, as we stay in the boat with him, we will see him act. And he's doing a miracle even today. As we together now are going to share in the Lord's Supper, he, 
he takes a group of people who are different, different backgrounds, different stories, different viewpoints on things. He takes them and by their faith, united faith in Jesus, he unites them into one people, one congregation, so that as we take together the one loaf of bread, the one cup of Christ, he uses that to remind us that we are one people through Jesus. We bring all the variances of who we are into this fellowship. As we come, we give thought to, to, the, to the ways we still need God's grace and forgiveness. So before we partake together, I want us to prepare our hearts. And first I'll allow a time of silent prayer. And then in a second, we'll have just a short song. But I want you to use that to, to set your heart ready to, to remember again the Savior who gave his life for you, the, the Savior who poured out his blood to set you right with the Lord. Let's, let's silently confess our sins before the Lord. Father, I thank you that through your Son you have forgiven us our sins and have restored us to your, your fellowship, unity with yourself by the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Now, Lord, unite us as one body as we share together in the, the, body, and bread of your, uh, the body and blood of your Son, Jesus. Let's sing together. Lord, I need you. Pastor Phil is going to lead us in the Lord's Supper this morning, but I encourage you to have ready your, your communion cups.